HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. On behalf of everybody at HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009. Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst family has raised cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of the Central California coast. The result is beef with extraordinary flavor that's as memorable and natural as the surrounding landscape. For more information, visit www.hearstranch.com. Listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Anne Saxelby. My co-host and producer extraordinaire is Sophie Schlesinger. Hello. And today we are so lucky to be joined by three fabulous guests. Um, And our show today, uh, we are going to be focusing on what does dairy have to do with Occupy Wall Street? Um, This show is the brainchild of our first guest, a chef from Ajara, Tia Keenan. Um, thanks for being on the show, Tia. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> thanks for having me. We're occupying Heritage Radio. We are today. occupying <laughs> <Absolutely>. Heritage Radio. <laughs> Our second guest is Heather Squire, who has been um, at the forefront of the kitchen operations of Occupy Wall Street for the past three weeks, you said. Um, amazing. And then our third guest um, is Lorraine. And I believe, forgive me if I mispronounce this, okay. is it Lewandowski? Very good. That's it. Yes, Lorraine Lewandowski. <laughs> Lorraine Lewandowski, who is a dairy farmer from upstate New York who has been um, really affected by and, and vocal about um, sort of issues going on in the dairy industry. And uh, so we're really excited to sort of have a, a big conversation with everybody. Hi, Lorraine. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so first, I guess, um, let me start with Heather. Heather, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been doing at the kitchen for the past three weeks and how you got involved? Um 
I came to New York to go to the 99% march, um, that, the one where all the people got arrested, and um, just to see, I was really curious. I wanted to see what was going on. Um, after that happened, like I went down to the camp after that happened, like the amount of people that came out was, was huge. And um, I wanted to get more involved and by joining a working group or something, it's, it's a good way to see what's going on. Um, so I naturally went to the food working group because I worked in kitchens for like the last 17 years um, or in kitchens and in the front of the house of restaurants and things. And um, I'm also really interested in food justice issues. So I showed up there and at first it was just... Um, basically ripping open boxes that were sent from all over the country with like messages of solidarity written on the side and just all kinds of stuff, granola bars or somebody cleaned out their pantry and it was full of cans. Um, and we're just trying to like put that food out to feed people and it was so chaotic and crazy. And every day more and more people came. Um, and uh, so I just started out like washing dishes and pretty much everybody that's a point person in the working group started out working dishes. They just showed up <laughs> and right, yeah. hopped on the dishes. Um, so I did that for a little bit and then just kind of kept my eyes open to what, what's needed in this group. Um, and at that point, they were cooking dinner off-site and we wanted to have hot meals for dinner because um, it's cold at night and for all the occupiers, we wanted to make sure that they had good nutrition and stuff. So um, at that point, they were coordinating um, two or three different kitchens a night, coordinating getting food delivered. Um, and also the farmers from um, upstate New York and the Northeast, at first they... they we weren't very organized at all together. They just showed up with food or we'd get like a two hour lead time or they'd call us from the road and say they're coming with a lot of food. Um, so all of a sudden all this food that needed to, like beautiful produce uh, needed to be processed and turned into meals for at that point, maybe like, you know, seven, 800 people for an evening. Um, but it became clear like that every night it was growing and there was more and more people um, so I kind of took it upon myself working with some other people to um, find an off-site kitchen where we could have cold storage and dry storage um, and actually put out enough meals to, to feed over a thousand people. Um, and also there's, we were getting so much produce, the cold storage was really important because the, the local farmers um, from all over the Northeast that wanted to contribute and felt so strongly about being a part of the Occupy Wall Street movement, this is how they showed their love. And they came and we got it and... It was wonderful, so I wanted to make sure that we really honored the work that they were doing by, you know, not letting their beautiful greens wilt. In. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And so where did you end up finding that kitchen, um, the off-site kitchen? Uh, the off-site kitchen, we ended up, well, kind of came to us as everything seems to happen, the connections just happen. Um, there's a church in East New York called Overlo Overcoming Love Ministries, and the pastor over there um, was really interested in the Occupy Wall Street movement. They have a mission that's very like has to do with uh, dealing with poverty issues and homelessness, um, and they run a soup kitchen there. And he decided when he finally had like after watching for two weeks, he he's like, we need to go down and help these people feed, help feed these people. Um, so he showed up at the information desk, and someone was like, Heather, talk to this guy. And he said, we've got a kitchen. And I was like, well, how big? How many people? And we just had this really quick exchange. And I was like, all right, fine, let's leave now. And we just went and drove to East New York wow. and uh, checked out the kitchen. And it was great. It was huge. It had those like huge um, cauldrons where you can cook 60 pounds of rice at one time, hot boxes, cold storage, dry storage. Um, and it, it because they only do um, lunch at this point, we'd be able to start cooking around two thirty, three o'clock, and 
they they don't have like a huge stock that they get from City Harvest and the donations. So our we could keep our stuff to one side and their stuff to the other side without it crossing and without us stepping on their toes. Um, so we've been there for about I think today is the sixth or seventh day we've been cooking there. Wow! wow. And so now the fir- the thing that automatically comes to my mind, you know, deliveries in New York being a nightmare. <laughs> How do you get the, all that food back and forth from East New York to Zuccotti Park? Uh, coordinating volunteers. Occasionally, we have to take a cab because people fall through. Um, we're trying to get better at that. Um, it's 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 hard. It's hard. <laughs> That's amazing. One of the things I think that's really interesting about um, what's happening with food down at Occupy Wall Street right now is it's evolving every day. Um, There are triumphs every day and things learned every day. And in the midst of all of that, as someone who has run restaurants, they are feeding around 1,500 people a day. I think it's probably the busiest feeding, you know, almost... They're feeding 1,500 people yeah. a day while that's, they're figuring out actually, all of this happening. That's 1,500 incredible. people a night. It's probably closer to like 4,000 people a day because we have breakfast there oh, and lunch so there. Meal. And they, yeah, and then wow. on the weekends, it swells to maybe 3,000 for dinner. Wow, <laughs> wow. And all through donations. All this food is donated. Um, well, we have a budget. with The finance committee gives a budget to the working groups. We have a, a pretty big budget relatively because we have to feed so many people. Mm-hmm. And at this point, even with we're able to put out a thousand a thousand meals a night from the East New York kitchen, that's still not enough. So we have to like we complement that with catering. Some people come and bring like donated prepared food from like different sandwiches and things. Um, and you are looking for an additional kitchen. Yes, that that is my big task right now is to find a, another kitchen where we can cook at this capacity, bring it up to two thousand a day, so we can. Um, it's like part of the bigger project that it involves pulling more food movement stuff is that we want to, um, we're getting a lot of donations from farmers that are, have done really fantastic stuff. And we want to start rerouting our budget from going to catering to going through the farmers so that the, the money we have goes through them and we're able to cook instead of depending on the catering as much. Well, if anyone, if any of our listeners have any idea about where they might find such a kitchen, you can send us an email to info at heritageradionetwork.com and uh, we'd be happy to pass the word along. Um, so um, I, this is so fascinating. I could continue asking questions forever, but I know this half hour is going to go way too fast. So um, Lorraine, can you tell us a bit about your background as a dairy yeah, farmer? Okay. Well, I'm a dairy farmer here in upstate New York. Um, I'm, I'm up in the grasslands of the Mohawk Valley. Um, uh, around the state, we have about 7 million acres in farmland. Um, in my lifetime, I have watched, um, I'm quite a bit older than you ladies, but I have watched the number of dairy farmers in the United States drop from 600,000 to about 50,000. So basically 9 out of 10 dairy farmers are gone. Um, In New York State, in my lifetime, I have also um, seen the agricultural land drop, um, either abandoned or subdivided. Um, Seen more than half of New York State's land go out of agriculture. Um, I've been working on farmer justice issues for a long time, and I would have to say that dairy blogs I have a lot of commentary about Occupy Wall Street and what it might mean to us as farmers. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know if you heard. We we didn't have much coverage in the media, but last year there were uh, the Obama administration held hearings on um, antitrust issues in dairy, um, and what were the major issues? The market consolidation. Um, you probably know that a few large companies totally dominate how milk is priced in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, at the hearings, there was some really compelling testimony from the Food Marketing Policy Center out of the University of Connecticut, Dr. Ron Cotterill. Um, the share of the dairy retail basket that actually finds its way back to the farmer has dropped, and that drop has accelerated in the past decade. Um, in 2002, the farmers were receiving, you know, around 42% of the money back that the consumers spent in the store. That By 2009, that figure had dropped to 27%. Um, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange it actually sets the, the base price of milk. And, you know, since you're involved in cheese, you probably uh, heard about the Chicago Merc. Um, the spread from what the farmers get has increased dramatically um, since that Chicago Merc began setting our prices. Um, the, the spread initially was around $1.49. So if, if um, the Chicago Merc paid $1.50 for cheese, you maybe see $1.49 markup. The, the markup now that is over $3.99 a pound. So the spread keeps widening. So we're, we, we farmers in New York State, uh, there are about 6,000 of us, are in a terrible crunch. We have no control over the price of our milk. It's, it's essentially priced far away. Um, we are we are waiting for the Obama administration to get back to us as to any findings from the dairy antitrust <laughs> hearings. We, the hearings were held, and that was it. We never heard from them again. It seems kind of conclusive. If you've said three companies control everything, that yeah. seems pretty uh, self-explanatory. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad in New York. Um, we we have been happy to see some trends towards, I guess we call it re-regionalization. Um, and this is something that I would really emphasize that New York City consumers could do. Um, you know, it's hard for us as farmers to sell. We can't sell to you directly. If if we are trying to sell raw milk, you know, if we weren't licensed properly and that, you know, a SWAT team would kick our doors down. But um, so all of the milk, is, we are, New York's milk is local. We're as local as can be. Um, the milk has flowed from upstate New York off the beautiful grassland milk shed that we have since the late 1700s when cheeses came down via the bateau and then the milk trains and now the, the throughway. Um, but, it's, but we seem to be very separate from New York City. We rarely hear much from New York City about us. The food movement doesn't seem to really have embraced us in any way. Um, you know, we, we just seem to operate in different tracks, and that was one reason I really wanted to be on the show today, to, to ask the New York City people to look beyond the farmers' markets and the CSA and to embrace everything in their food shed, their milk shed. Uh, we're just a few hundred miles north of you. Um, so, so that was one thing I really wanted to get across. Um, before going on the air, I, I, I actually put an email on a blog uh, asking if any farmers around the country had anything to say, and I, I was really, in the past 24 hours, uh, overwhelmed with emails. Um, some, quite a few farmers wanted me to talk about Walmart. Um, at the dairy antitrust hearings, um, the co-op presidents testified that one problem we have is, I guess we'd call it Walmarting of dairy. Um, Walmart, as you know, is a $442 billion company. Um, we in New York, our New York dairy industry as a whole is $2 billion. So, you know, they're, they're, they're huge. 
uh, the testimony at the hearings was that Walmart can pretty much dominate um, what the price of milk will be and is ex- exerts downward pressure. Um, it, it's another factor uh, in the whole situation. So, so some of the things that we see the um, really many wonderful young people saying are very much in line with what many of the, the regular farmers around the country are thinking. Well, I think that's kind of a good opportunity to sort of tie some of these ideas together because, um, you know, in the beginning of the show, we said, what does dairy have to do with Occupy Wall Street? And the similarities that I see between what you're talking about with um, big business and dairy and big business and banking um, revolve around the consolidation of um, companies that are in charge of what's going on instead of having many small regional banks or many small regional processing facilities for milk. Exactly. There are increasingly less and less options and with less options you get less sovereignty over your end product and you also get less transparency when it comes to pricing and uh, issues like that I think that a really interesting way to think about milk pricing um, which by the way this is totally paraphrasing but was started in the 1930s I believe as a way to kind of keep milk prices stable during the Great Depression um, because the market was so volatile um, it's now become a completely different uh, it's become a completely different ball game and the thing that I like to compare it to in my mind anyways is um, the kind of either how um, credit cards were working and consumers were being penalized for all these things that they uh, didn't really know were there um, in their credit card statements and bills or also the mortgage crisis um, mm-hmm. people sign up they're they're forced into a system or they sign up for a system where they're going to be the victim. And with dairy farming, um, it's just become worse and worse. Um, And so I I would say, you know, and the thing that I found interesting about what you said is, um, you know, you want consumers, you want New Yorkers to look up to you guys and not forget about you guys. Exactly. Um, and, And I want that too. And the way that I see to do that is by there being more processing and more local options for that because... Like you said, we can't buy direct right now as the exactly. system Exactly, we are going works. through the system. But I have, I have seen some hope here in the past two years coming out of New York City. Um, um, Manhattan Borough President Scott Stringer brought up the, an idea of the food shed two years ago. And Councilwoman Christine Quinn's report also mentioned dairy and talking about re-regionalization. Now we need to make it a reality. Um, we need to have competition for the milk, not just a few companies dominating. So I think that the goals are very similar. Um, we just need to, to somehow bring it together at the state level. Absolutely. Well, and I think that you also need entrepreneurs because as it's important to have government support, but um, I feel like, you know, having people who are willing to put their, you know, put their dollars on the line um, and start new businesses, you know, that would turn upstate milk into either fluid milk for the New York market or yogurt or cheese or any number of wonderful dairy products. Um, I know that there are some great examples of that. Like, you know, Tia, you had introduced me to that gentleman who does the New York milk up uh, mm-hmm. upstate. Um, but yeah, Chobani has been a good example for us. That was an innovative dairy product. Um, in, it, they did so well in five years. They're, they're now using 6% of New York State's milk. Um, and both yogurt companies have meant jobs. We need jobs up here. You can go for miles and miles and see empty barns, empty farms with the winds just ripping through empty barns, houses in shambles. Um, every time we get a new company that uses something produced by our grasslands, you know, New York is a, 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 a New York is a fantastic grassland milk shed with 
huge grassland resources for grazing and for hay silage that you know that sort of thing to feed cows unfortunately we are losing farmers um, the fastest growing dairy states in the nation are texas arizona idaho uh, california not a lot of grass yeah no it's really really crazy so well i feel like you know that's another i don't know i was just thinking about the entrepreneurship thing once again it's like the i think um a lot of people um who've been hit hard by this recession have found you know are, are increasingly looking to ways where they can provide uh they can provide um security for themselves by starting their own business or starting having control over their own you know uh their own economic fortune and i think that for dairy, you know, hopefully we can start to do some of those some of those same things because New York City residents and New York State residents, of course, everyone wants access to the freshest, most local, you know, milk. There's that's a strange help their situation community. in New York in that um, if you look at the there's a we have a map called the milk price map that shows the price of milk that farmers get in every state. Um, we've been trying to get to the bottom of why New York's farmers are paid significantly less for the milk than all of the surrounding states, than almost all of the states in the Northeast. Um, that's another phenomenon that literally sucks millions upon millions of dollars out of rural New York. Um, so, so that is another thing we had asked the New York State Attorney General, um, and we've also asked some of the people who, who work daily in the industry to to try to help us with. Um, and part of that, I, you know, I hope that Governor Cuomo's um, new Commissioner of Agriculture uh, Daryl Obertine will be working with the farmers on that to to address the situation. It's a terrible drain um, on upstate New York, and part of the reason why we're, we're we are going backwards in the number of farms that we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, what what would that price be, just so we could you know get sort of uh, our heads around it? Um, well, I just printed the milk price map before I got in the air here. I think we were making um, about twenty dollars and eighty eight cents for one hundred pounds of milk. Okay, so there's 8.6 pounds of milk in a gallon, and no, and we're talking whole milk. Mm. Um, so the farmer isn't getting rich from the milk. Um, th- this is a big improvement, though, from ni- 2009 when the price of milk dropped to almost ten dollars for 100 pounds of milk. Right. Wow! Um, and that is where so we were getting maybe like 95 cents or something for around there for a gallon of milk, but the price stayed the same in the store. Um, you know, we try. I, I made many calls to New York. Try, I, I did speak with some people in the New York um, at Councilman Joya's office about that. Um, but the consumers are not aware of the anti-milk price gouging law that we have in New York State. Um, they are also not aware of the spread between the price that the farmer is paid and what they pay in the store. Um, you know, but but again, we were going in different tracks. The the farm, the New York State farmers upstate were committing suicide when the the FarmNet hotline was like overwhelmed with calls. Um, I, I attended one dairy rally where I literally feared for my life because people were 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 shouting. The the farm women were screaming at the commissioner of agriculture culture, the uh, men were weeping, um, you know, but then in New York City, no one seemed to know about it. It, You know, we, you know, I, we called the, the New York Times, we called newspapers, we called food groups. Um, different food groups I spoke with said they were interested more in artisan products or what they said, local food. So, so there's like a serious failure to communicate. So when Tia asked me about this show, I jumped at the chance. Uh, this, this really is uh, fantastic. 
Now, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see any other models in your neighbor in your area starting up like the Chobani model or anything like that? Well, it, it takes seems a like... lot of capital to start. Um, you know, anything, even a small uh, processing plant. Like I say, if you're a farmer, um, the equipment is, is you know is just even vat pasteurizers. If you wanted to make your own cheese, is, you know, very expensive. Um, so, you know, I think the the Chobani model has been very successful, um, and I this is an, an area that um, New York City could be looking at as well, like say for tax credits or grants or whatever to help um, with with regional uh, milk processors. We need more than a handful of them in um, New York. Well, in the entire Northeast, um, we also need help from the food groups to expand their concept of food justice to include farmer justice. We never hear farmer justice Absolutely. in terms of in terms of, you know, where we're at. Um, it, you know, it has it has started to go to the vegetable farmers and the fruit farmers who are close to the city and the meat farmers and me who, who can drive there. But for us, you know, you talk to us who are near the Canadian border, all the beautiful milkshed area there or Lake Champlain or the Finger Lakes and we you know, we're all the milk goes to New York City and to, to Boston, the Northeast Corridor, but but we're invisible. So, so I'm hoping that that if any of the food movement people are listening, that they would would try to reach out to the state's largest egg sector. We 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 are well, this, you know this is two billion dollars worth of sales a year. I think We're very this is important. A, a really important um, <clears throat> time and opportunity for the the food movement. Um, to not just focus on um, organic farmers or farmers who are producing, um, as you said, you know, artisan products, but um, to look at at all farming um, and to look at scale. I think regular farmers like yourself, Lorraine, have really suffered because when, as Americans have begun to understand the scourge of of industrial farming that regular smaller scale commodity farmers have gotten sort of lumped into the industrial farming mm-hmm. sector yeah, in the minds of, of very true and i think new york city um what i saw in the past two years coming from some of the food shed movement i was very encouraged because it's a huge transformation from 10 years ago um, in 1998, the farmers, the dairy farmers, tried to have collective bargaining in the form of we called it, it was the Northeast Dairy Compact, and um, New York City political leaders fought us tooth and nail. They said we could not, the farmers should not have any more money for the milk. milk. Um, you know, I, I actually remember um, New York City leaders shouting at us that um, big corporate farms will produce the food, will import the food. We don't need you. You're irrelevant. Wow. It, well, things have I think, changed, though. I think I, I think New York City consumers are on the verge of discovering. It is, and have. I think this is where it ties into to Occupy Wall Street because I think Occup- the the beauty and the power of Occupy Wall Street is that it's a very broad based coalition movement, and um, this gives an opportunity for us to rethink all of our approaches to systems. It's a movement that questions the fundamental systems that guide all aspects of our society, whether it's um, the the small number of large banking entities that control the financial markets domestically and internationally, or whether it's the, sm- the small number of um, corporations that also control our food supply. And I think one of the things that's really amazing about the work that Heather's doing is that we're seeing on a, on a day-to-day basis the People's Kitchen at Occupy Wall Street really trying um, 
imperfectly and ingeniously, though, to um, to tackle those issues and to, out of feeding thousands of people every day, start to rethink all of our food systems and question the consolidation that I think everyone has suffered. Consumers have suffered. Our health has suffered. Um, farmers have suffered. Lorraine, isn't this the first time? Aren't we going to have a, a, a milk deficit in New York, where for the first yeah, time we're we drinking more milk, milk in fact, the from the Midwest? Of the United States is about 3.2 billion pounds deficit per month. Um, this is where we have milk ro- rolling in from the western part of the country, or at least more product. Than we have In places here. with no grass. <laughs> no, no, we've got the grass, but they've got the milk. So right. there's <laughs> so, something no, wrong I, there. I just love our grasslands. And Audubon, New York, did our best. Did the best summary I've ever seen. Um, they have tied together the huge changes going on in the grassland ecology upstate. The grassland dairy farms saw the huge this, the drop in the acreage devoted to to farms is actually killing off the grassland bird species. Um, you know, I, I was sh- I was showing someone today that the the eastern meadowlarks are in trouble. The northern <clears throat> Excuse me. The Harriers are in trouble. Um, quite, a, yeah, you know, there are just numerous. I was reading the um, plan for conserving grassland bird species. Um, so when you change an entire ecology of an area because you're 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 kind of like stripping it out and forcing it to be extremely efficient um, consolidation, you change the ecology of our very state and you know our whole northeast region, Boston and New York City, are set on one of the be- most beautiful historic you know and traditional grassland dairies that we have in the country. So this is why I would like to see the environmentalists, and I have spoken with NRDC about this, um, value the grasslands as much as they do the Adirondack Park. Absolutely. Yeah. And Heather, I wanted to ask, too, have you, what, it, what have people been talking about in terms of food at Occupy Wall Street? I mean, we can see these amazing things happening with food there just in the act of feeding all these people and how that's happening logistically. But what are some of the the topics or, I don't know, what are you hearing about food as you kind of talk to people there? Um, I, to be honest with you, I'm all over the place and not really there, but when, when we have conversations about how we want to organize where it's like, okay, we've sort of organized this feeding people task right. a little bit, at least better to the point where we can start thinking about bigger issues where now, you know, before it was like this logistical issue of where do we put these farmers? They want to give stuff. It was just like, all oh, this food's coming in and it felt, it's like, you know, just box, boxes of stuff and you just conceptualize it as food. And at this point, we're moving more towards realizing that, like, these donations from the farmers are them speaking through us. They're supporting the movement and it's a way for them to, like, you know, make sure that, like, agricultural issues are being brought into, you know, what's going on at the occupation right. because there, there's a lot of issues in common. Um, and um, one of the really interesting things that happened is, I guess, in um, Western Massachusetts and Vermont, there were so many farmers that wanted to support the movement because they, they felt in solidarity with it. So a couple of farmers took it upon themselves to, they started this um, organization called Feed the Movement. And um, so they, they organized the truckloads that come down from the farmers and um, they to occupy Wall Street. And then they want to move to other, um, other, start delivering food to other occupations. And mm-hmm. part of that's, feeding people because clearly like, that's kind of like a, a, a drive you have if you're a, any person that produces food um, but they also um, they want to link the issues of Occupy Wall Street to um, the, the issues that rural farmers are having um, so I, I think that's a really cool opportunity for us to like sort of um, be a, a place where that food movement issues can kind of come through us and be acted upon mm-hmm. in, in, and, and, and now 
Oh, sorry. I just, I have a question. Um, now, are there any sort of um, specifically food-based protests happening or is there an opportunity to organize such events? There is actually a, a, a big um, protest and I, I believe that it's the first in New York of, of the Occupy Wall Street base um, that's specifically for food. Um, so that's on Saturday, which is the 29th at 1 p.m. at Zuccotti Park. Um, and this is a, a protest which will bring together all different people working within the um, food movement and food justice movement. Um, there'll be uh, some of their concerns are um, GMOs and GMO labeling, consolidation of the seed stock, um, uh consolidation of food retailers as Lorraine mentioned you know big box stores like Walmart and the power that they have over um, over farmers um, you know people I think Anne and everyone in this room who's been working with food um, understands that that food is the intersection of all aspects of our society that the food movement has an obligation to um, address immigration, to address uh, justice for workers, fair pay, to um, that e- farmers are exactly that farmers are stewards of the land, that they um, protect us from storm <laughs> and protect our water supply, protect our water supply, and so. Um, I think, you know, this is just the early, early stage of how the food people who've been working within the food movement and also ordinary people who haven't been working in the food movement who see who see um, their children who are obese, who ha- struggle to help their fa- feed their families and get food on the table every day when wages are stagnant and the cost of food is rising. Um, I think this is a touchstone issue. And um, I think what's amazing about the work that Heather's doing is that it's a big, big issue that can be overwhelming even for people like us who are comfortable talking about this kind of stuff. Um, But there's a locus at Occupy Wall Street, and that is the people's kitchen. And from the people's kitchen, I think that there is a potential for all kinds of activity and activism and and real change that we can create within our food system. And I would like to say, too, that within the working groups, you know, there's point there's obviously people who take on more responsibilities, but it's always people who show up there and look for a need. We definitely have a need for a person that like takes on, you know, dealing with food justice issues and bringing it back to the kitchen as a point person, because so many of us are running around with logistics and just making sure the feeding happens that there's absolutely space for more people who want to be involved to come in and like figure out how, you know, their issues and, you know, how they want to work can work with a food group because we, we love that. We all hope to be able to be more involved in that kind of political work. Um, so I, I'm wondering, actually, it's um, we're almost out of time, uh, but I want to make sure that everyone who wants to follow this conversation or get involved can do so. So Heather, are you comfortable? What's the best way for people to get in touch if they want to volunteer in some way at Occupy Wall Street? Is there a point person there? Should we collect emails um, through Heritage Radio? Um, there, there's an information desk now. Somebody, somebody showed up at a meeting, you know, a couple of weeks ago and said they need an information table. So we found an information table and started, you know, doing that. So we have that now. Um, you can just go there and talk to them. We have a, we have a, a volunteer list. Um, 
if you want to sign up for it. Um, I would actually appreciate if you took the emails and gave them to me in one email because my inbox is overflowing <laughs> and I'm getting hundreds of text messages every day and I don't want to let anybody fall through the cracks sure. that's so really interested in this. So send your emails to info at heritageradionetwork.com. We'll yes. make sure that Heather gets them. And now, and I want to make sure people can follow you, Tia, and you, Lorraine, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever you prefer because you're mm-hmm. both so involved in this dialogue and you have such valuable things to say. So Tia, first. So I'm Kaza. Kaiserina. Kaiser Kaiserina, which we will spell on our website. Yeah. Um, and I, I talk about um, all kinds of food policies and about my life and about anything that's interesting to me at any given time. Lately, it's been a lot about Occupy Wall Street because I think that's the most interesting thing happening in our communities right now. And uh, and Lorraine, how can people follow you and your and oh, your community? Oh, mine is imaginative as Tia. I'm just plain NY Farmer, like New York Farmer uh-huh. on Twitter. And I've actually been tweeting with Tia for two years now. I feel like she's a member of my family. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, when we were when the dairy farmers were undergoing such horrible disaster, Tia was so sympathetic and kind. We you know she's kind of like the honorary dairy princess now. So um, <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. So if anybody cares to follow or tweet to me, whatever NY Farmer, that's where I, I can be found. But really, people just need to get involved. You need to get into your communities. You need to start talking to people. You need to start working. Organizing. You need to ask your grocers if they'll carry Chobani and other local products. Yeah, if you don't yeah see them. that's what uh, I spoke with one of the farm leaders, and um, they said, you know, just go in small steps. Try to, you know, buy from regional stores, regional products. Um, look for labels that are simple with real dairy food instead of fillers or junk. Um, you know, just go in small steps and and be and be aware of what the economy means for every one of us, really. Well, I'm going to counterpoint and say, actually, it's time for people to hit the streets and for food people to start to get political. Um, because if you think that the politics stops at your plate, um, you're, you're confused. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, call to action. Um, yeah. Sadly, mm-hmm. we'll have to end our show. But thank you all so much for taking the time to be on. And uh, let's continue. Week. Occupy Wall Street. Dairy farmers need you. <laughs> you will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Mendel Rivers to eat hog maws confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will...